Welcome to the Prioritizing Prevention, Translating Science to Practice podcast. Our goal is to prioritize prevention conversations that matter. Our topic for today is the power of networks with special guest, Stacey Fraunhippel-Hassan. Now here's our host, Holly Rappel. Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Ohio Center of Excellence for Behavioral Health Prevention and Promotion podcast, Prioritizing Prevention, Translating to Science and Practice. I'm Holly Raffle, the faculty director of the center, and I'm so excited to be here today to explore the power of networks with Stacey Fronheppel-Hassan. Stacey is the chief of prevention at the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Stacey's distinguished career in public service has focused on utilizing her understanding of Ohio's human services and behavioral health fields to ensure information and services create health and well-being throughout the state. Stacy received a bachelor's degree in communications from West Liberty University and holds a master's of public administration from Ohio University. She also is an OCPC. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you, Holly. I'm so excited to join you. Well, we're here today to talk about the power of networks, particularly in Ohio's statewide behavioral health prevention and promotion system. Throughout your career, you have played an integral role in the development of networks in Ohio. As a baseline for our listeners out there, I'd like to start by asking you a few questions just to level set our conversation. So the first question is, is how do you define the term network? In a very broad sense, that uh, would be interactions between various groups and organizations, and then beyond that to achieve a specific goal or multiple goals. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so important uh, that we are all speaking the same language, and that's part of what networks do. Absolutely, and they are incredibly powerful, and we'll, as we'll be talking about. And thank you for that excellent segue. So what are behavioral health issues best addressed via networks? That list, I think, is probably endless, but some of those issues are... Um, when you have, for example, suicide death in a community, in a school, in a faith community, just in a family, and um, the community needs to come together to ensure, first of all, that that family and those loved ones are supported. But beyond that, uh, sometimes there's a phenomena called a suicide contagion. And when one suicide occurs, especially in schools, high schools, campuses, sometimes that can happen again, and sometimes even more than two or three more times. Uh, So bringing those community groups together for that incidence, and that is a, a response to something of the moment. Quite often, networks come together, and this is more, and I know we'll talk more about collective impact. In, in a little bit, but what that network can do in order to affect change, it might be regarding uh, substance use disorder in a community. It might be about food deserts. It might be about um, supporting uh, young women who find themselves pregnant. You know, it might be about depression, anxiety, um, problem gambling, and There's a close correlation between coalitions and what coalitions can achieve and networks. 
Absolutely. And thank you for providing really specific examples of behavioral health issues. And so now my next question is, is what role have you seen networks play in, um, you know, solving or resolving or addressing behavioral health prevention and promotion issues in Ohio? So many different roles. I'll talk for a minute about stigma reduction. And my work has obviously been at a state level, but I've also been on community networks. The community I live in now had a uh, public health-led um, community action team. And the focus in that case was public health. But the deeper focus for a while was substance use disorder. And that was probably the first three years of the work that we did. So we came together and it was, it was Medicaid payers. It was the hospital system. Um, it was the city, representative from the city and city council, fire and police because substance use disorder, overdoses, and so on needed that emergency eye and response to what we were working on. And of course, behavioral health. Um, and the list goes on, but all of us came together, determined just the parameters of that issue in that community, and then started to chip away at it. And what that ended up resulting in is a safe station, one of the first in the state and one of the first in a multi-county, I'm sorry, a multi-state region where individuals with substance use disorder can just walk in. They're walking into, in this case, the fire station, and they're saying, I need help. I need help right now. And a number of agreements were put in place so that those individuals could get into a treatment center immediately or as close to immediately as possible. Um, we have, that's in Whitehall, Ohio, and we have individuals showing up there from West Virginia and Kentucky on a regular basis and sometimes further afield even. Uh, but hundreds and hundreds of people have gone through there now and been connected to community services temporarily here if this is where they wanted to stay in the central Ohio area, where the, we reach out to those communities where they'd rather be, but didn't think they had anywhere to go. So that was incredibly powerful. Um, we looked at what the resources were in the community and in central Ohio so that we could focus on helping our community members first. But in doing that, it resulted in um, something very helpful and effective for, as I said not, said, not just the state of Ohio, but states contiguous to us. So nothing more powerful can come from something like that. Um, that's just one. And then on the stigma reduction side, I've spent, well, decades now. You said distinguished. You don't get distinguished unless you've been around a long time. Right. And anyway, that's a nice word. I wouldn't, you know. I'm from Appalachia. <laughs> we, don't, we don't hang monikers like that, but thank you. Um, in the stigma reduction world, we have, had, we have had state organizations focusing on that. We've had community organizations focusing on stigma reduction. Um, I've actually been with multiple state departments where we focused 
on trying to reduce stigma. And over the years, you know, that has made a difference. Getting, just building those networks has made a difference. Um, as we looked at bringing together NAMI, for example, and recovery groups, um, the behavioral health community boards and providers, and it goes on from that. We've had the hospital association in that work, um, Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation. So all of those groups coming together, discussing the issue of stigma reduction. Uh, we have a, a words matter, some language first documents that are available on the Ohio MHAS website. Uh, other communities started to pick up on that. Now Franklin County, Lucas County, countless number of other areas have put out for a while it was say this, not that, or don't say this, say that, um, editorials and so on, changing the culture of how we talk about substance use issues, other addiction issues, and mental health issues. And I, I think that has given us a few more rungs up the ladder to where behavior health issues are. It's acceptable to talk about it. It's acceptable to share your story. And we're not at 100% yet, but we've made great strides. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stacey. And what I love about your two examples, the local example and the state example, is you illustrate that it takes everyone from a variety of disciplines across the continuum of care to work together on those behavioral issues that matter most, that those issues that really impact Ohioans. So having been part of several networks and having built several networks, what do you think are the characteristics of thriving networks? First of all, communication. Well, I'll, not first of all, but go back to goal. You know, the first characteristic is coming together for a common goal. And every um, individual group agency that is part of that network obviously needs to care. There needs to be that motivation for coming together to solve or make progress in that particular issue, problem, concern. Um, networks are, there's, there's a give and take. There's no sense in building a network of 30 organizations and individuals if there isn't participation. Um, participation is one of those keys. It's necessary. That doesn't mean there won't be leadership and individuals that are helping and contributing. Um, but sitting on a call isn't what folks are looking for when it comes to networks. Uh, action must take place in a plan to get where you need to be for success. Time. Time is a crucial factor. Yeah. You have to understand that it's not, it's not easy. It's not turnkey. Um, it takes building to create that buy-in so that you can bring folks around the table. And last I'll mention, and I shouldn't mention it last, but that diversity of who those individuals are, who those networks and agencies are, because you need the, depending on the problem that is being addressed, the folks around the table, the folks around uh, within the network, need to represent that diversity and inclusion. You know, do we have, we're working with the issue that is 
a high risk, for example, in an African-American community, in an LGBTQIA community. Um, maybe it's new Americans, immigrant populations, and that list goes on. It's young people. And do we have youth, the youth voice around the table, all of that? As you were talking, Stacey, I was sort of imagining a puzzle, right? And all those pieces that need to be in place for networks to effectively function. Um, so really, thank you for really painting a picture for our listeners of, you know, those ingredients for a successful network. So I'm going to ask you this, uh, this, what do you think is a network secret sauce? So think about the successful networks that you've been a part of. What do you think the secret sauce was that made them so successful? I'll say um, a couple of the ingredients in that, in that sauce. Um, I mentioned time and time is crucial. If you have three months to achieve something, bringing that network together and Moving forward in that format is going to be quite the challenge. It really does take time. I'd like to say a, min a minimum of six months, but that's almost pushing it. I think a, a year is more realistic. Um, and depending on how far you want to go, you know, more time is great. Um, but beyond that, there has to be that desire to succeed both within, um, a backbone organization, a backbone that is that is driving this forward. And everyone within that network and the organizations participating, again, this is what we want to achieve. We want to get there together, and we will get there. Um, and it's going to take the capacity, which is resources in so many different um, shapes and forms. So everybody brings that to the table and also group advocacy, especially if we're talking about funding, um, but not just that. It might be that the network has come together in order to create green space in a community. And if that's, you know, think about the other partners that would need to work together to achieve that. It could be an old industrial site that needs to be cleaned out and revitalized and turned into a green space. And then you might have business and industry. And I didn't mention the chambers of commerce from a community level or from a state. And you have the statewide chamber, uh, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, excellent partners as you're thinking about building networks, depending on the goals. So I think I said time backbone, and the desire to succeed. Absolutely. It sounds like those things combined together really make that secret sauce. And you also mentioned something that, you know, a colleague of mine and one that you know, Marsha Lewis always said, is find those odd partners like the Chamber of Commerce, like those people who you haven't normally worked with. And that really speaks to that notion of diversity that you spoke with. Um, you know, diversity within individuals, but also diversity within sectors seems to be important too. Yeah, that that's without a doubt, and we um, and we have to think outside our box, as you know, it's a colloquialism now, um, but it's still true. That's why things like cliches come to pass. 
you know, we have to think broader in order to actually make that change. We have limitations in the behavioral health world, which is, which is fine. It is what it is. So who else do you bring to the table? Sorry, my uh, Italian's coming out. Um, who else do you bring to the table in order to get to where you need to be? And did anyone think about the business entity that builds play spaces if, if you're trying to create a green space? Just well, one example. Well said. Well said. Thank you so much. Well, Stacey, I'd like to really dig in deeper to your own work experience. And you were part of the leadership team that rolled out Ohio's 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in July of 2022. Can you believe that team just passed its first birthday? It's amazing. The time flew by, you know, and then at other times it felt like it was crawling by. But um, it was just, it was an incredible lift. And it had to be done. It was a nationally uh, laid out timeline. And um, the state really started in December of 21 in order to get all of that. That's not true. 20. You know, that's during COVID. I might have my timing off. We had a total of 18 months to look at it and move forward and build a uh, strategic planning group in order to make it happen. Um, that was a very diverse group. Some of the groups I've mentioned already, uh, very strong around all the advocates that are interested in behavioral health, all of the players. But beyond that, um, folks from the Veterans Administration and Veterans Hospitals, the governor's office, uh, faith-based members of the General Assembly, because there was no moving forward with 988 with some without some way to pay for 988 and some of the structural issues that needed to be in place within legislation. It took probably the first three months to bring everybody to the table that needed to be at the table. And then as we looked at things like subcommittees in order to get the work done, there was a 988-911-211 interconnectivity committee. Um, and me as an as a lead on it, you know, instantly I could say, well, I know something about helplines, you know, and call centers, and uh, that's the problem gambling work that I've done. But nine eight eight nine one one two one one interconnectivity to ensure that no one's falling through the cracks of those somewhat siloed uh, systems at this point. In order to make that happen, we needed to have the uh, the 911 system folks at the table. And so that was one of the subcommittees. And many of the members of that group were actually police officers and fire department that run those around the state of Ohio. And there was 160 of those folks. We had some excellent, you know, about six excellent representatives. And they were able to take that ball forward with, what do those protocols need to look like? Um, we had marketing folks, you know, in a marketing group to talk about segmenting the message and what would that look like for the different populations in Ohio, especially those most vulnerable um, in, a, in high risk and high need areas and groups, you know, for potential suicidal thoughts and actions. 
So that was incredibly important that we bring those folks together, the policy and advocacy group to, you know, meet, meet those needs and bring this all forward. And there were several other. By the time we had the network completely built and moving, we had about 165 different groups, agencies, individuals, not around the table, uh, but meeting within the subcommittees. Um, and then we actually probably ended up with 45 in the network uh, on the planning committee. And I am not recommending that for anyone ever. But so many organizations were active in getting that done. And it's talk about success um, and everything has a way to go, but Ohio's um, 19, even the network itself was 19 call centers, 19 providers of the 988 calls, um, answering the calls, and they're getting almost 10,000 calls a month. So it's, it's up and active and moving forward. Oh, this is a true testament to the power of networks. You know, as you talked about 980, I was hearing about the different partners that were involved and then also the infrastructure to build a network to meet the needs of getting, you know, the 988 network up and running. So you not only had to build the infrastructure for the 988 network, but the infrastructure for how the partners networked and worked together um, and by using subcommittees and other tools like that. Um, when you look back, um, what do you think were the greatest successes of that network? Um, first of all, building a community of practice for the providers themselves, that was incredibly valuable. No one brought those folks together ever. So the conversations we had in the very beginning, there are a few of the call centers in Ohio that are two one ones. So they knew each other and they had spoken to each other before. Uh, but a lot of the call centers are within behavioral health care providers. They had set up their own helplines, and then eventually those became 988s with vibrant emotional health at the national level. And that was um, SAMHSA funded, very low levels of funding. Um, but we brought all of those folks together in a community of practice so they could start sharing, you know, those challenges, those successes, how they were going to connect uh, technologically and philosophically because they're used to serve, serving their communities only. And 19 sounds like a lot. In fact, it is. It's more providers than any other state in the nation has. Um, but they're forced in order to cover the whole state of Ohio, in some cases, to reach out beyond you know their county borders and pick up other communities and other counties and cities. And that has happened. So we have 100% coverage. Um, we also had no common directory of services for everybody to share. Again, the 211s had information and referral resources, but for crisis system resources, and if you're calling a suicide prevention helpline, lifeline, uh, it came to be known as, you need to know what those crisis resources are either in your community or in that whoever the caller's community is, wherever the caller's community is. So as of 
this month, actually, the resource directory will go live for those in the system. And that'll be a first time event for the state of Ohio. Uh, it'll be an online resource directory. It'll start with crisis services only and crisis services having access to it only. But the next phase of that will be the public phase. And, um, and I'm not sure of that timing, but within a year or so, it'll be accessible to everyone in the state. So an individual who doesn't want to call a helpline um, or have a chat, um, either online or texting, can go to that resource directory and look up crisis resources in their community, or that maybe they're uncomfortable and they want to go to a different community. Those two were huge. And then uh, we had to put $46 million into the state general revenue fund budget for the next two years in order to keep funding flowing to the 19 providers and some of the crisis work within that system. And that was in the budget that passed around uh, June 30th. And that was amazing because it was a difficult budget year. So we're very excited about that. Well, thank you for your leadership and thank you to everyone because I know some of our listeners were part of that as well who participated in that 988 exercise. Um, it is, you know, a Herculean effort to serve Ohioans, especially at a time when they need service the most. So thank you. Certainly my pleasure. When you look back on that experience, can you think of one lesson about networking that you took that you'll carry forward with you in your other work? No, I can't think of one lesson, um, but I'll start with one. <laughs> Um, in the 988 work, the, um, there was an association of telecom providers that I was encouraged to, you know, bring into that network, that planning committee from day one, because enacting all of this would require the telecom providers. Um, you know, did they have self-interest at heart? Well, of course, it was an association of telecom providers and they were fairly quiet on most of the planning calls, but I needed to cultivate a relationship with a gentleman who was my contact with that group. Um, and we talked probably once a month just to touch base, uh, you know, what's happening now, how you know, what's the assessment of how it'll affect the telecom providers? I mean, again, another organization and system I'd never given a thought of except to pay my phone bill. And, and who even thinks of that except every month when you get a notice on your phone that you just paid your phone bill. Uh, so, you know, it's just, you don't know what you don't know in that case, but that doesn't mean you need, you don't bring those folks in. Uh, and, you know, they did have their own agenda. They did have self-interest. But of course, so does, in this case, Ohio MHAS as that backbone organization that needed to bring all of those folks together to get the work done. In the end, the telecom, telecom providers certainly had no objection to getting the funding moving and, and turning on 988 
when they needed to. Uh, so that's, that's what matters. One other lesson um, would be share the leadership responsibilities as much as necessary. Certainly, I wasn't going to lead a 911-98211 interconnectivity group. Let them, let them do it. Um, those organizations. Uh, I got to know a few, you know, fascinating people from around the state in that space, and they were the ones who had the expertise to write those protocols, to write templates for MOUs between a community, nine eight eight and nine one one. And that was the case. We had the um, Mobile Response Stabilization Service Group, and that was mobile response for young people, for youth in crisis. Again, I wasn't an expert in that space. I didn't you know, need to be because we had individuals, um, many of, several of whom were here at MHAS, but also within the communities who had already been doing that for a few years. So those are the individuals that led that group and um, developed those charters and all of that. Organizational pieces like the charter for the network and what it needs to accomplish, a charter for a, uh, the subcommittees and what they need to accomplish, that needed to take place up front. Um, we didn't have the luxury of time with that, so it was done fairly quickly. In that case, I would say as much as possible, we got it started and then presented something to the groups to respond to. And then it might have been shredded and thrown out the window, but that was okay. It was a starting point and it got us moving forward. Absolutely. I heard a lot of messages tucked in there. Again, the reference to those odd partners or partners you may never know or realize that could be helpful. And even partners with the self-interest can move things forward. Um, you know, I also heard tucked in there shared and distributed leadership, right? Knowing that um, as a leader, almost the best thing you can do is to invest in the talent around you to trust those talent and to do whatever you can to activate them. And, and a good example of that activation is just starting with drafts for discussion, like, hey, here's the starting point. Where do we need to move from there? And, and being humble enough to say, you know, if we need to shred it all up, we need to shred it, but at least we started. Um, so um, just thank you for just so many different paroles for our listeners to take as they think about networks that they're part of and how to behave within those networks, but also how to lead networks of their own. I'd like to transition now because I know you have a special place in your heart for problem gambling efforts across the continuous care. In January of 2023, Ohio enacted legislation that really fundamentally expanded the state gaming laws. And one of your responsibilities at the department includes heading up Ohio's Problem Gambling Bureau. And under your leadership, and with the work of many partners, Ohio's become nationally known for how the state created networks to address problem gambling. And these networks include both individuals and also organizations across multiple community sectors, across different disciplines, and of course, focusing across the continuum of care. And all of these groups and individuals come together to respond to Ohio's problem gambling needs. So if you could just share with our listeners about the network of statewide support available to Ohioans to address problem gambling and highlight some of those unique strengths of this networked approach. Sure. 
And I guess thanks for asking about that topic. Um, a number of Ohio individuals, professionals, in fact, almost 40, just attended the National Council on Problem Gambling Conference on Prevention of Problem Gambling and Responsible Gambling Promotion. That was in Washington, D.C. And we took photos together, and, and we always do that. Building that community, which, you know, is a community, it could also be seen as a network, has been kind of job from day one or job one, however you want to look at it. But what makes Ohio unique in that space is the way it was built. And that was within the behavioral health system of care and within the system that we already had in place. Our continuum of care looks like our continuum of care. And the majority of, well, the work that we do covers the whole um, continuum of care, you know, the, the half circle um, that everybody's familiar with. But ours, just to be blunt, is more successful than other states. And it's come to be known as a, the Ohio model because we started with what we had to use. And we were lucky enough to have the opportunity to be within the, the statewide system of care. So those folks around the table from day one were the Adam boards. They were the providers across, across the state. Um, we developed champions from within those systems. And at different times, we've had all of those champions on spreadsheets and how to reach out to them, you know, as quickly as need be. We have speakers bureaus developed because we have so much media interest when it comes to this work. Sports gambling, I have a page and a half of interviews that took place around the state just in the first two weeks of the sports gambling launch. And we didn't do all of those at all. We, I mean, I have several people here, mostly though myself and Scott Anderson did those interviews. Once in a while, our director would do one, but most of those were pushed out into the communities to recognize those other leaders and experts, um, again, of which I'm not one, but we want to bring those into the fold. And if it's a community media source, they don't want to hear from me. They don't want to hear from the state department. You know, they want to hear from the local folks and the local experts. And we took advantage of that with Zeph Center in Toledo and um, Meridian in Youngstown, Recovery Resources uh, in Cleveland and Lakota Way um, in Lorraine, CAT in Cincinnati, Envision Partnerships in Butler, and that list goes on and on and on, as well as some statewide entities that are incredible, incredibly valuable. And some of those partners that are so valuable are our statewide providers, like the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio, Prevention Action Alliance, Prevention First, Ohio University, um, Hire that works so closely with us on on our campaigns, on our um, on our surveys, our campaign vendor, Orgo, and Orgo Branding is. Um, always and constantly innovative so that we continue to win awards for the campaigns that we put out. 
So that network is huge, as, as you said at the beginning, but it's allowed us to build what we need to move forward around problem gambling services and treatment across the board. And with sports gambling, we recently have determined that we'd add another network, and that is a gambling telehealth network, which is in a soft launch stage. So don't spread the word yet. Um, we're still building some of those systems, but I hate to you know miss an opportunity to let folks know that it's coming. And we've already had 11 patients seen through that network. And in uh, nine of those cases, they did not have services in their communities yet. In the other two, they didn't feel comfortable showing up for services in their communities. So this gambling telehealth network will be existing providers from around the state um, who can get together on a schedule and, and see those clients with very little lead time. Um, we've gotten them into care as fast as within four hours. So again, it's a whole spectrum of services and it cannot be what it is without everybody pitching in as much as possible. And we're still building it. Absolutely. It does really, it takes all of us. And I'm just really enjoying our conversation about the different topics and the different projects that you've touched, like 980 and problem gambling. But it's time for us to start wrapping up our discussion today. And to do so, I would like to end by talking a little bit about collective impact. And, you know, as both you and I have been involved in collective impact for quite some time here in Ohio, we know that that's the idea that no one single person or one single entity can solve the increasingly complex problems that are facing uh, not only Ohio's community, but communities everywhere. So given that basic premise, communities collectively develop data-driven, research-based strategies to work towards positive behavioral health outcomes. And with you knowing networks from inside and out and having built multidisciplinary networks for communities to respond to their most pressing behavioral health challenges, what do you think the relationship is between collective impact and networks? You know, I was um, um, doing a little bit of reading and one of, the, one of the pieces I read, I think it was the Harvard Business Review, the gentleman that was proposed to have, uh, you know, needing to get into some collective impact type work said, um, in other words, I'm going to waste my time, you know, trying to talk to people about working together. And I, I thought that might be the attitude of some folks, but that is obviously not the attitude that's going to allow you to effect community change. Um, yes, it is going to take time, but the, but, you know, the outcomes of that can be incredible. So I think whether we're talking about, and the terminology, you know, varies, there are specific parameters around this and collective impact has a specific model, but a network needs to work through that collective impact process step by step in order to get where it needs to go. And that's not achieving a single goal, that's achieving that array of goals and steps and maybe phases to get where you need to go and to affect community change. In the behavioral health space, you know, we're not talking about building a park. We're talking about 
that end goal being, for example, less suicidal ideation or, you know, better mental health, less substance use disorder, um, fewer people overdosing, those kinds of, those kinds of activities that are, they're not, you know, turn on a button for that, that, you know, it's an ongoing process. It's step-by-step. So the network or the coalition are just part of that process of collective impact. And then the scientifically proven methods um, that Ohio University, you know, and now the Center of Excellence are so good at working with the community to get where it needs to go from a collective impact standpoint. But when you think of knowing where you need to be and starting somewhere, I think that's the coalition and then the network, you know, but with the goal, always the goal in mind. Absolutely. And thank you so much, you know, for, for referencing, you know, our team here at Ohio University, as well as the, um, the team that I have the privilege of leading at the Center of Excellence. And I really feel like it, the heart of what we do lies in that little section of the strategic prevention framework that's capacity building, right? And as we build the capacity of communities um, to organize and mobilize around the issues that need most to them, that's really where you see these networks grow and the magic happen. And I do think what we have going in Ohio is, is magic. I mean, maybe that's self-serving for all of us, but, but we should be proud of what we can accomplish. And we've had a, a workforce development challenge in Ohio, especially in the behavioral health space. Um, we still do, but we're making great strides in that. Um, we already have a more preventionists than most states, but that doesn't mean we can meet the need that we have. So that's take, that's, I mean, that's another network that's come together and we have the Ohio coaching uh, mentoring network with at Prevention First in Cincinnati. Also, uh, workforce development being part of the role of the CRE. We have to bring everything to bear again to get where we want to go with goals that are at that kind of monstrous level, like ensuring workforce for the next 20 years. And that's another big piece of what we're working on. Um, and an educated and effective workforce. So I certainly thank you for this opportunity to talk about this today. Absolutely. And thanks to all of our listeners who definitely have contributed to these networks that you've mentioned and other networks that, that haven't been mentioned because um, we only have so much of that per precious commodity of time. So to all our listeners out there, we appreciate you. We see your work and we know you're working hard. And Stacey, um, getting the signal that it is officially time to land this plane. The captain has put the seatbelt side on. Our seatbacks are up and our tree tables are in their locked position. But before we sign off, I have three quick questions. And these are things our listeners really want to know, Stacey. The first question is this. What is the best use of a pineapple? As a pizza topping or blended in a smoothie? Uh, smoothie, definitely. I just always thought that was weird. No offense to those who like pineapple on pizza. Absolutely. So who would you rather have for your partner in a dance-off competition? J-Lo or Beyonce? Ooh. 
I guess I'd have to say J-Lo. I've probably seen her dancing, well, a lot more and might be able to blend a little bit better. And I wouldn't want to make Beyonce look bad. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having this sense of humor and playing along. And here's our final question. This is the one our listeners really are waiting for because I ask this of every guest. You walk into the to a room, you see that big jar of M&Ms. Are you reaching in for a plate or a peanut? Percent. I was just on a flight and it was terribly delayed. And all I could think about were M&Ms. They were plain and they were blue and orange. And finally, my daughter traveling with me said, why do you keep talking about M&Ms? I don't know. I can't stop myself. So definitely plain. And now you know the colors, blue and orange. Blue and orange. Well, thank you, Stacey, so much. And thanks to all of our listeners turning in today. For all of our listeners, be sure to like and follow us on your favorite podcast channel. You know that we're everywhere and tune in every month for more conversations like this where we prioritize the conversations that matter. This has been the Prioritizing Prevention Podcast. For more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Apple Music, and many more. This program is funded by Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services. And for more information about us, please visit preventioncoe.ohio.gov. Thank you for listening.